With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're going to recap the game between the Jets and the Bills. This is the rematch from Week 1, taking place at MetLife Stadium with the beat reporter covering the Jets for NorthJersey.com, Mr. Andy Vasquez. Andy, the Jets go down 18-10 to 10 today, but at one point, it looked like they were really going to give the Bills a run for their money. At the very beginning, they were cooking with gas. Darnold and the offense were moving the ball. The defense was doing very well against Josh Allen. And then about halfway through the second quarter, it started to sputter. And by the time the second half started, the Bills completely took over. And the defense ended up holding the Bills to nothing but field goal attempts. There were eight field goal attempts in all. The Bills made six of them. But still, that was more than enough because after the initial onslaught by the Jets, which produced 10 points, they did next to nothing the rest of the way. So the Jets gave the Bills a scare early on, but in the end, they reverted back to what they had done the previous six games. And Buffalo was able to seize on that and make them pay just enough to escape MetLife Stadium with a victory. Yeah, it was... uh... It was an interesting game. I will I will say this. It was weird to be covering a competitive game. <laughs> and, I mean, I think we knew where, where it was going to go for a while once you saw that the Jets' offense was stagnating. So I don't know if it was as competitive as it had been. But the truth is they had a chance to win the game all the way until the end. And that is a rarity these days. So it was uh, progress, obviously. <laughs> progress with the team is a very low bar so it's not like we should be going out and, and throwing a parade here and I mean obviously we're, we're going to get into the offense but even for the defense they they did not allow a touchdown but they they did allow 400 yards mm-hmm. or somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 yards they, they it wasn't like the bills were you know running into a brick wall here they, they were able to move the ball and then they weren't when they got close to the end zone but um, after what we saw from the offense to start the game and and where it went. I think after they scored their touchdown to take a 10-0 lead, I think they had 25 yards of total offense. And obviously we all know they had four yards of offense in the uh, second half. And that stat is even worse than it sounds because I, I know it's hard to believe, but 
they had a 13 yard run on the first play of the second half and they finished with four yards. So after the first play of the second half, they gained no yards. They, they lost nine yards. So it was a disaster and it was less, I guess, hard to watch because they kind of showed some promise. And I think there were some positive things that, that you can take from this game and go forward with, but they are the worst team in football and nothing changed that today. We should talk about the big news that broke mere minutes before the game. Brian Costello of the New York Post had this first. Adam Gase, at least for this game, relinquished the play-calling duties to Dowell Loggins. And maybe that was part of what sparked things because we saw some different looks early on, a lot of motion, things that Gase hadn't tried, which was good. And everybody was joking, well, maybe Dowell is the actual offensive genius here. And Gase was the one getting the credit for his work when people would refer to him as the offensive genius. We don't know for sure whether this is going to be something that carries over because in the postgame presser, Gase said that he's going to take it week to week. But this was a surprising turn of events, especially this close to game time for something like this to break. Yeah, uh, just because last week Adam Gase said that he had talked to the entire staff and that he was the best man for the job, uh, that it that I think his direct quote was that we didn't think that was the problem. And, and Dawa Loggins had defended him last week, too, saying, like, that's not the problem. And then apparently early in the week, the decision was made that Gase would be calling the plays. I mean, I'm sorry, that Gase would not be calling the plays that they'd handed over to Loggins. And that's how they went through practice this week. Uh, and basically, there's a, there's a few things on pack here. First of all, we'll start with why did he do this? He says it's because he's been thinking about it for a while and that he wanted to take, like it allowed him to take a big picture look at the team. I think he said, have his, uh, take a look at everything we're doing as an organization, which I I don't know if Jets fans are going to be thrilled about that, but that, that is what he said. And that was a big part of why he did this. And then um, he said it was his decision that he was not asked by anybody in ownership or above him. He didn't say ownership specifically, but he said that he'd been thinking about it for a while and he wasn't asked by anybody. And that's kind of consistent with what he had said the week before, because he was asked um, after saying that he was going to keep the play calling, he kind of got panned for saying that his, the people that work for him, you know, told him that he was the right man for the job, but he, he was asked if he talked about it with Joe Douglas, who is obviously parallel with him in the organizational structure. And he said that, Douglas agreed with that as well. So it wasn't, at least according to him, he wasn't forced into doing it. And basically it did look good. It did look different. It was nice to see some of these changes and and some of these more creative offensive sets early in the game. And and they were effective and it seemed like it played more to, to Darnold's strengths. And you could see that, that McDermott was a little, lost or surprised because uh, he used one of his timeouts there when he saw the Jets line up on a a third down play, I believe. And he's consistently had Gase's number. So I I think it it got them. But in the second half, the Bills, it wasn't like they made some sort of complex adjustment. They basically just started bringing pressure on every play and the Jets couldn't adjust. And, And that is really what shows what this coaching staff is. I mean, this has been the problem 
going back to last year is that they just have not been able to answer um, what other teams do, the changes that they make. And, and I know we're going to talk about what was said after the game, but it was very telling and interesting to hear Sam Donald bring that up twice. I don't think he was putting it on the coaches, but after the game he said, we need to do a better job of adjusting. And I think he was probably putting that more on the offensive line because they had a real hard time picking up blitzes. That's probably on the running backs as well. But he was kind of running for his life in the second half. Some of the sacks were on him for not getting rid of the ball soon enough, but also he basically expected the pressure to be there right away. And if it's that easy for defenses to kind of shut down the jets and and do this to them, it's pretty discouraging going forward. And it doesn't, it speaks to it that it doesn't really matter who calls the plays if they're not going to be able to adjust on the fly. Let's talk about Sam Darnold now since you brought him up, Andy. He started out pretty good out of the gate, made some nice throws. There was a third down throw to Braxton Berrios that was just an incredible throw. And it reminded you again of how frustrating Sam Darnold can be because there are times where he can make plays that very few quarterbacks at any level of football can make. And it reminds you a little bit of Vinny Testaverde. If you were around to watch Vinny Testaverde, you saw this too, although Vinny obviously was nowhere near as mobile or as good on the run. In fact, he wasn't able to throw on the run, so you couldn't even say that he wasn't as good on the run. He literally couldn't do what Sam Darnold could do on the run, but still, Vinny Testaverde could make throws that very few quarterbacks could make, and then he would make a maddening decision, or he would miss a read or something, and that's essentially what we saw from Darnold. Got off to that quick start, but then even as they got down to the end zone for what you thought would be a touchdown drive and ended up being a field goal, there were two times that Denzel Mims was open and Sam Darnold wasn't able to connect. On the second time, he tried to will him into the end zone instead of releasing the ball for an easy first down, and that backfired because it ended up getting knocked away for an incompletion because he waited too long to throw. And then as we got into the second part of the second quarter, it was almost like the stagecoach turning back into the pumpkin because all the good stuff that we saw early on started to crumble. And as the game wore on, we saw bad decisions. We saw interceptions. We saw sloppy play. And it was the Sam Darnold that we had seen the first few games of the season. Now, Sam Darnold, just to give you an idea of the contrast of how he started and how he finished, the beginning of the game, he was 10 of 11 for 107 yards here are his final numbers 12 of 23 for 120 yards two interceptions and he took six sacks for a loss of 29 yards so you can do the math there and understand that Darnold started hot very early and then completely crumbled this is a problem because once again we saw the high highs of Sam Darnold but we also saw the low lows and we saw what was in between and what was in between and the low lows far outnumbered the high highs. That's happened way too often this season when Darnold's been healthy. And if this keeps up, the Jets are going to have a major decision to make in the offseason. Yeah, um, I don't really know what to make of Darnold. I think it's just the same stuff. It's the same things we've been saying forever. He, like you talked about that throw, it was incredible. I was sitting at an angle where... I could see what he was seeing in front of him, what he was looking at. And when he threw the ball, he fitted it between the corner and the safety, I believe. And it looked like it was an interception when he threw the ball. And the throw was so perfect. It was one of the best throws I've ever seen him make. I mean, it was just absolutely perfect, incredible. 
that's the potential you see with him that, that gets you excited. And I think Gannon said it on the broadcast too, that you thought it was a pick when he threw it. So it, it was exactly what you're seeing, but, but then, yeah, the, the Mims play, he didn't see Mims soon enough. It's a touchdown. If he throws it right away, it's a first down. If he throws it when he was looking at him and started scrambling that way, but instead he tried to wait until he broke back towards the end zone which obviously wasn't a smart play with a rookie, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's really hard to evaluate him because I know he's doesn't trust the offensive line. It sure looks like he doesn't and he, and he shouldn't trust the offensive line. He's probably a little worried about the shoulder. There's probably some, that's probably some sort of a factor in terms of not being on the field the past few weeks, but bottom line a, a good quarterback, a quarterback who's supposed to be the quarterback of the future, finds a way to make plays to win games. And he didn't even come close to making a play to win the game in the second half. I mean, not at any point did it ever look like the Jets were about to win this game or come back or stop the Bills. I think you've been following this team closely for a couple of years. Once they didn't score – a touchdown on those first two drives where they went deep into Buffalo territory, you kind of had the feeling how this one was going to end because it just, it's the script. It fits the script. If, I think if they score a touchdown on that first drive or they score a touchdown, on the second drive where they went for it on fourth and one, they probably win this game because Buffalo was not playing well and really didn't put together a complete game. But th- the Jets are a bad team. Bad teams find ways to not get the job done. And, and Sam Darnold, unfortunately, fits into that narrative. I don't know if it's all his fault. Some of the things, like the fact that he still has footwork issues, that's his fault. Like That should have been eradicated early on in his tenure. And he hasn't got it fixed. And, and, and the fact that he's still making these mind-numbing mistakes. I mean, the interception he threw in the first half is one of the worst ones he's ever thrown as a Jet. I, I do not know what he was trying to do there. Again, it's possible that it wasn't his fault because we don't know if the receiver didn't run the right route, but it looked really bad. And even if it wasn't totally his fault, like you just can't let that ball go. You got to do something else. So um, as, in terms of not to drone on here, but in terms of the decision the Jets have to make after this season, I think it's going to, I, I don't think it's going to be a tough decision. It's going to play out one of two ways. They're going to continue to lose and be terrible and if they continue to do that, that means that Sam Darnold did not play well enough. And if they have the number one pick, it's not a tough decision. Like they do not trade the pick. They do not think about doing something else with it. They, they draft Trevor Lawrence. They restart the clock, gives them more time or not more time, more salary cap space to complete this rebuild. And how much worse is he going to be than what we've seen from Sam Darnold? And if Sam Darnold starts playing well, and well enough to be the the quarterback of the future for this team, the Jets are going to win some games. They're not going to have the number one pick where it gets tricky is if he kind of plays well and they win two or three games and get the second or third pick and, and have an option to select another quarterback. That's where it could get tricky, but I think the odds are it's going to go one way or the other. And they're, it's going to be pretty obvious what they have to do after this season. Let's talk about the rest of the offense, Andy. You know who was really productive today? In a shock of all shocks, Frank Gore, 11 carries for 60 yards, and when the Jets' offense was playing well, he was a big part of the reason why it was like turn back the clock Sunday this week. 
Lamichael P. Ryan was okay, but at least he got his fair share of touches. Each man had 11 carries, and Lamichael P. Ryan also had two catches for 16 yards. One of those touches that Lamichael P. Ryan had, by the way, was the Jets' only touchdown of the day. Denzel Mims looked pretty good in his debut. Four catches for 42 yards, but he got open a fair amount, and he looks like a player right out of the gate. I don't know exactly how much impact he's going to have this season, considering how late he got started, but... For somebody that missed six games and all of training camp, he looked very impressive today. And as far as the offensive line goes, Makai Becton played pretty well, but he got called for a couple of penalties, and that's something that he's going to have to make sure that he doesn't let happen again because they were both very costly penalties. Chris Herndon had his only good play of the day wiped out because of a Makai Becton penalty too, so... That's really what you noticed when you watched the offense today beyond Darnold is that you got to see a little bit more of LaMichael P. Ryan. Frank Gore, shockingly enough, did well. And the offensive line had its struggles in pass protection, but particularly there were a lot of penalties. Andrews got called for a penalty and played very poorly on top of it. And then Mekhi Becton got called twice for penalties. So this is not a banner day for the offensive line, particularly in pass protection, but as far as discipline goes as well. Yeah, there there were a lot of struggles for the offensive line. I mean, I think you can deal with the penalty. I, I know that penalty ended up costing the Jets a chance to win the game. The one that Becton lined up off the line of scrimmage and um, Herndon had caught a first down, which would have been the Jets' first first down of the second half after the Gore run. But it's just that's just kind of fitting for where the Jets are right now. But I think more importantly, he looked to be healthy and uh, effective. And that was a worry, given what we had seen three weeks ago against the Broncos. So, or a little more than three weeks ago against the Broncos. So um, that, that was encouraging. And I think the fact that his play didn't drop off in a, on a big level from what we saw early in the season, that's what you, you wanted to see from him. And, and then with Mims, yeah, that that was cool to watch. It was it was fun to see him involved, and he played a big part in, in the offense. He had six targets in that first half, and then the four catches for 42 yards. And a couple of the catches were not easy catches. One of them, he took a pretty hard hit on the hands as he secured the ball and held on to it. And on another catch, he was being shadowed by Tre'Davious White and across the middle of the field and and brought down a high pass for a first down. So for a guy who really had not been on a field playing competitive football in almost a year before last week when he came back to practice, that's super encouraging. And I think you, you don't want to get your expectations too high because of the injury issues he's had. And like you said, the, the, the late start, but I think he can contribute judging off of what we saw today because that was super impressive for a guy who just hadn't been involved and really didn't get to practice at all during training camp because of the hamstring injuries. So, um, but other than those kind of bright spots, uh, offensively, there wasn't much there. I think, yeah, this, nobody has a problem with Frank Gore getting 11 carries when it, they, they were split like they were today. And, and that was one thing that Dowell, indisputably did a better job than Gase did was Gase seems to put Gore in for a drive and then basically keep it that way. We saw in the first drive of the game, 
Gore and P. Ryan were in the game rotating back and forth, you know, like normal teams do. And that made sense. It, it was a, smart. It was effective. I think Gore was more effective that way because he wasn't getting his worn down at the end of a drive or as the drive went on. So I, I think hopefully no matter what happens going forward, they continue to, to utilize their, their weapons like that. Um, and, and it's going to be something that's interesting to watch because it, it was effective, but it's, I think that's the right way that you work in a young weapon like Ryan and, and we saw what his speed was capable of, even though his, the, the plays were limited, but he broke a 20 yard run and, and he showed speed what it can do on that touchdown run around the edge. Uh, he got to the outside, was able to get in the end zone, and, and that's not something you know, the Jets have been able to do the last few years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk a little bit of defense now, Andy. Quinnen Williams was the big star. He did have one bad penalty, so hopefully he starts to get that under control because that has been a problem for him this year. But he did have three quarterback hits, a sack, a big tackle for a loss, and there was one play in particular that I remember. It reminded me a little bit of what could have been a scene out of Highlander, if you ever used to watch that in the day, when Duncan McLeod would have these sword battles and he'd use these crazy moves to get around the guy and try and take his head, because that's how you would become the last immortal standing. Wasn't anything that drastic, but he did have that battle with Morse and just got around him in beautiful fashion and took him to school. It was a nice thing to watch, especially against one of the better centers in the league and Morse. So Quinnen Williams continues to progress and push towards becoming one of the best players in the league at his position at only 22 years old. Even Henry Anderson got in on the act early on. He had a nice tackle for a loss. Bless Austin and Pierre Desir both almost had interceptions. Bryce Huff had a tremendous tackle for a loss on a reverse where he wasn't fooled at all, completely snuffed it out. So the defense had some nice plays. Unfortunately, the Bills racked up a ton of yardage, as you said, Andy, in the second half, and that's where Josh Allen and those guys went to work, and really most of the damage was done by Cole Beasley. Zach Moss had some moments in the running game, only seven carries, but he made them count 6.7 yards per carry, but it was Cole Beasley, 11 catches for 112 yards, who helped the Bills so much in terms of moving the ball up and down the field. Tyler Croft had a crazy play where he was wide open. He was the only tight end who was even available today for the Bills, and he goes out and makes this play. If he hadn't tripped and fallen down Daniel Jones style, he has an easy touchdown in front of him. 
him. So the Bills end up settling for six field goals out of eight attempts. They had opportunities to score touchdowns, but the Jets did buckle down once the Bills got close in scoring position, and they made some really nice plays at different points throughout the game. So certainly not an incredible performance by the defense, but they looked improved today, at least compared to the disaster that they've been the first six weeks of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to get better just because that this is what we saw last year. Once they kind of figured out how to use the moving parts and, and make it work, like they became pretty effective, but I think you're also going to see some version of this where just because of the personnel they have, they're going to get torched. They're going to have to get torched because they, they can't do everything no matter how sound they are schematically. Um, they're going to have to give something up. And today, Buffalo was able to figure out what it was and, and burn them with Beasley on all those short routes. So I, I think you'll see a defense that doesn't give up a lot of points, that occasionally gives up big chunk plays more than last year because they don't have Jamal Adams there to kind of, you know, he, he was really good at kind of reading those plays and I think stopped a lot of them before they happened. Uh, but I think you'll see a defense that probably is going to be a little better than people expect, not as good as last year, but with that kind of potential. And it's because they have some guys who can take things away, like Quinn and Williams, who makes it really hard for opposing offensive lines on, on the rush and on the pass. And I know a lot of Jets fans are eager to kind of blow this thing up and move on, but I would, I would not be eager to trade Quinn and Williams unless you're getting some sort of package you can't refuse because he is consistently improving he is still only 22 years old maybe 23 I can't remember I know he's right in that range and he's getting better every game it seems like and that's you have to have talented players on the roster moving forward it's not like the Jets have a lot of them he's one of them in, in a key spot where you know football is one in the trenches at the line, you got to have these guys who can make those kind of plays. And I understand that he hasn't let, lived up to the production that people want to see from a number three overall pick, but there is time and there's a lot of reasons that seems to be trending in the right direction. But as you said, he's got to clean up the penalty issue. Uh, the one today seemed pretty blatant and, and avoidable. So that is something that's, a concern going forward, but I don't think he's been this great disappointment that he's kind of being painted out to be by a lot of people just because he doesn't have a ton of, of sacks. To be fair, Andy, he doesn't have an enormous amount of sacks, but he does have three sacks and a whole host of quarterback hits now to go with that in only seven games. So it's not like he's only having one or two sacks, which is the complaint that you heard about Leonard Williams at the end of his tenure. We'll see where it goes from here. But as you said, he seems to be getting better and better and better as time goes on. And he's not even a year and a half into his career. I'm with you. I think there are certain players that it would take a lot to get me to trade. Quinn and Williams, to me, would be almost untouchable. You'd have to give me a really incredible offer. Mekhi Becton, same thing. It would have to be even and bigger offer than Quinn and Williams and then Jamison Crowder is another one where you'd have to give me a really really strong offer for me to even think about it those are the three guys that I think that you really have to keep 
going forward because there's no reason that they can't be part of the solution after 2020 is over. With all that said about the game now, Andy, let's talk a little bit of injury news. What's going on with Brashad Perriman? He took that nasty hit at the end of the game, courtesy of Micah Hyde. He was laid out, looked like he might have a concussion. Where do we stand on him, and do we know anything else about any other injuries? Yeah, so with uh, Perriman, he is being he was being evaluated for a concussion after the game, and that's really all we know. It was horrifying to watch. I mean, he just got absolutely destroyed, and I've never seen so many flags come in from every different direction at the same time. Uh, and he was down for a while. I, I'm not sure if he was knocked unconscious. I didn't. I didn't get a good look at the replay. I just at that point in the game, I was had my head down writing, but. That was just, I saw the hit in real time and it was scary and I knew it was going to be a problem. And he was able to sit up and then eventually he did walk off the field under his own power, probably after about four minutes after getting hit. And he wasn't wobbly or anything, but he went straight back into the locker room. So I don't know if he has a concussion. We'll find out more about that tomorrow. And then the other injury was Kyle Phillips, who left with a serious ankle injury. Uh, and Gase said that he won't be playing again this year. So that is a loss. He he was a a solid contributor on the defensive line, and, and that's why Henry Anderson got in there because he replaced Phillips. So I think you'll see more of Henry Anderson moving forward because of that. It was a weird thing with Phillips because he, he did get hurt earlier in the in – the, I believe it was the first quarter, and then he came back into the game, and then whatever he did to his leg immediately, the refs were motioning, and, and he was motioning – this is a little off topic, but I thought it was a nice moment and kind of shows the leadership that Marcus May brings to the team. As all the doctors were looking at him, uh, May came over, talked to him, patted him on the head. And then moments later, the whole team kind of followed, went over as he was getting onto the cart, you know, gave him some support. That was a nice thing to see. It's obviously a tough deal for Phillips who is trying to break into the league and, and was really doing it with the Jets and now he's done for the season so that was really it in terms of injury for the day uh with Jamison Crowder Gase said he just wasn't ready to go didn't feel good enough and the Jets obviously hope he can play next week against the Chiefs Sad to see with Kyle Phillips, Andy, because in addition to him being a good kid who was a helpful contributor last year and this year, you figured he was probably going to get more playing time now that Steve McClendon was moved to Tampa. By the way, Steve McClendon had himself a heck of a debut for Tampa today. Five total tackles, four of them solo, so he's already making a difference for Todd Bowles in Tampa as Tampa completely rolled over the Raiders today. Let's talk about Adam Gase, who you just mentioned, speaking in the locker room after the game. We heard from Gase and Darnold. What did they both have to say? So Darnold was frustrated. It's hard. You know, everybody's watched him. Darnold knows it's hard to kind of gauge him. And he's, he's not, he's pretty bland, doesn't show a lot. But you, after losses, he, he's perturbed. And today it was like borderline discouraged, probably more discouraged than I've, I've really seen him just because that, that had to be frustrating. Um, like I said, he brought up the, the not being able to adjust thing twice, which obviously is a source of frustration for him and something that's on his mind. said his shoulder felt great uh, and that it wasn't an issue. And he said there wasn't rust there, um, that he basically felt pretty good coming out of, of the gate. 
he thought he played a pretty good half, except for the interception to end the first half. And with that interception, which ended up being a pretty key play in this game, because I, as you remember, Buffalo was able to score three points there, take it into halftime uh, at a 10-6 game instead of 10-3, and then at another field goal. And obviously they just kept adding field goals, but that, kind of gave them momentum as much as you can have momentum in a game where there's only one total touchdown scored but Donald on the interception basically said uh that he forced it and quote it didn't work out for me no no, it it did not work out for him (laughs) but that cryptic answer makes me think I got to go back and look at the play that something might have gone wrong because Sam isn't the kind of guy who's going to throw his teammates under the bus ever but the fact that it was that far off makes me think that something went wrong. So maybe somebody else had a route in the area. Donald expected him to be there and he wasn't, but either way, Sam Donald can't let that throw go. And that's why we're still wondering if Sam Donald has a future as an, as a good quarterback in this league, because when you make plays like that and there seems to be one every two games or so, you're, you're just not going to be a good quarterback in this league. So that was interesting with Gase. Going back to the play calling thing, um, he basically said that it's week to week. I can't remember how much context I gave for the play calling, but um, you know, he said he was he was more self aware than you usually see Adam Gase. He said that he didn't want to kind of make it seem like he was impeding, or I I can't come up with the word right now, but it's um, interfering basically, or undermining what they were doing as play callers. So he basically let the offensive staff and Dowell work out what they were going to do earlier in the week. And he didn't really interject that much. Um, It was weird watching him standing there without his play calling sheet and watching because anyone who's watched the Jets game has seen Adam Gase calling it. And it's basically got his head buried in the sheet. He's not looking up. It's, it's not exactly an encouraging sight. So it was kind of a pleasant surprise or a pleasant change of pace, but also it wasn't really effective. So as far as what happens going forward, Gase said that uh, he's not sure that he just wants to do everything week to week right now. And I don't really know what the motives were behind this. I don't know if this was a genuine thing with Adam Gase where he wanted to see what somebody else could do, or if this is him just kind of being like, oh, y'all think it can't get worse without me calling the plays? Let's see how Dowell does. And then that's how it went, where it was looked good in the first half, and then that second half is going to be enough of an excuse for him to take things back and be like, see, see what happens when I don't call plays? I mean, he's not going to say that publicly, but that's just kind of my read on the situation. Um, But I hope after what we saw, some of the stuff that worked in the first half like we talked about with the rotations and and with the motion, hopefully Gase is smart enough to to switch things up if he does go back to calling plays and and kind of incorporate that stuff into his offense. But we'll see. Maybe Dowell continues calling the plays. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, It was was interesting, an interesting change of pace for sure. And the other stuff, it was pretty uh, uneventful. The, The guys weren't super down after this one other than Darnold. Um, I mean, I think 
frustration has set in, but I think also reality has set in, and they know that there's no chance of salvaging this season. They knew that a couple weeks ago, and and the fact that they were in the game and had a chance to win, obviously this is a results-based league and nobody's happy with losing, but um, Avery Williamson did have a good quote where he said, it's tough because we, we were in the game and had a chance to get it done and we still couldn't get it done. And, and he said several times, it's tough, man. But this is where the Jets are. This is what they are. Not really good enough to win games right now, but at least they didn't look like the worst team in NFL history today, which they were in the genuine running for before this game. So there's that, I guess. I wonder what the betting line would be if you could place a wager on whether or not Adam Gase is going to take back the play calling duties. And if you were able to bet on that, of course, there's only one place that you'd want to go. And that's my bookie with the NFL, college football, the World Series. There's no shortage of games to watch. And with tens of thousands of lines available on your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game watching experience into a payday with my bookie. Sign up at my bookie. And when you do, you Use the promo code OVERTIME. You can claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a 1000 bucks. You can bet on Jets games or any other NFL game if you want on Sundays. Remember, Walter Cherapinski from WalterFootball.com joins the show Sunday mornings for the pregame report to give you gambling tips so you can use those when you go to my bookie. They give you that bonus, and it's designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. Use promo code OVERTIME to claim your bonus when you make your first deposit over at my bookie. Andy Vasquez covering the Jets for NorthJersey.com. Thanks so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. 99 cents a month if you want access to everything over at NorthJersey.com. You can see a fair amount of Andy's work outside of the paywall, but if you want access to everything he does and everything that all the other great writers do there, tons of fantastic local journalism at NorthJersey.com. Make sure you sign up. Again, only 99 cents a month. Andy, I know that you're going to have a full write-up of this game, but you're going to have plenty more that you're going to be working on throughout the week. What do you got planned? Yeah, we'll look at how today's game impacted the Jets' odds to land the number one overall pick. I I know they're still the only winless team in football, but I think the closer result might impact some of the odds that we'll see tomorrow morning from places like ESPN and Football Outsiders in terms of you know, projecting forward how this might play out. So that that's one thing to look for. I'm going to look at some of the positives because we don't do that often enough because there haven't been many. And I think there were some from this game. So we'll kind of go in depth on that and a few things that maybe Jets fans can be looking forward to with some of these guys who should be a, few, a part of the future going forward. And then finally, we're going to look ahead to the Chiefs. And that is Obviously, a tremendously interesting matchup on several levels with Le'Veon Bell, who had a little bit of success today against the Broncos in the snow. A 16-yard run on his first play, which was, uh, I think he only had one run longer than that with the Jets. So, And obviously, the Jets are going to be massive underdogs, just kind of how they're dealing with that, how much they are probably going to lose by. Like, Could they lose by 50? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. I think it is actually for a such a lopsided matchup. It's kind of fascinating to see how this is going to work because you have a Super Bowl favorite and a team that is the worst in the league and has been historically bad before this game. So a lot to dive into. Please uh, 
come to NorthJersey.com and check it out and, and subscribe because that's good for me and, and good for local journalism as, as we keep going in this interesting year. Make sure you're following Andy on Twitter at Andy underscore Vasquez and reading his work over at NorthJersey.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.